0: Have your Bible tonight. Open it up to the book of Acts with me. Acts chapter five. Acts chapter five. We here. Our attention tonight will be on the subject again of purity in the church. We will be looking at the first sixteen verses of Acts chapter five. If we were to look at the whole chapter, we would see from verse 17 down to the end of the chapter, we would see the, the thread of persecution that God used to strengthen the resolve of the disciples, that he used to actually grow the church, as we have talked extensively about that and the, how God used persecution to help strengthen the church and spiritually, but also even grow the church numerically. But here tonight, I want us to look at these opening verses of Acts chapter 5 because it's here that we will see another type of threat that came against the church that God actually used as an opportunity to strengthen the church, to grow the church. Much as He did, as I said a moment ago, the threat of persecution that came against the church, that He used as the opportunity to strengthen the resolve of the faith of his disciples. Now in these verses here in Acts chapter 5, this is an eternal threat. That is, it's coming on the inside. The persecution was from the outside. But this threat that is coming against the church is the threat against the purity of the church, and it's coming from the inside of the church. And if you recall, if you were with us last Sunday, we began looking at this idea of how God uses the purity of the church and purity in the church to help continue to strengthen the church and to grow the church. And we saw from Acts chapter 15 why it was so important that there remains a purity of the gospel that we preach in the church. That if we allow the gospel to be distorted, the damage it can be cause. Well, this evening we're going to be looking at purity among the people in the church of God, the people who are the members of the church, the people who associate with the church. Now, before we launch into chapter 5, I think it's important to understand the context of this situation. If you go back and begin reading there in verse 32 of chapter 4. You will see, it says, the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own. But all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or of houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would distribute, distribute to each as any had need. But with those verses right there, we see that this is a church that at this moment in time is a church that is united is a church that is a loving church that is loving one another, that is has a love for the lost. When he says there they're out proclaiming the testimony of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, they're evangelizing. And as they're doing these things, as they're ministering to one another's needs, and they're boldly proclaiming the gospel, they're seeing people saved, they're seeing people added to their number, and God's grace is abundant abundantly upon them. God's spirit is filling them. God's spirit is controlling them in such a way that they're going out in the power and these apostles to proclaim the gospel. Amazing things are going on. But it's right in the middle of all this unity and all the love and all the things that were so wonderfully taking place by the Spirit of God. It's right in the middle of that that we come to the end of chapter 4 and we move into chapter 5 and we see that sadly sin enters the church. Sin enters the camp. Sin enters this congregation. And it is sin that God knows is going to be a threat now to the unity of this church. Sin that's going to be a threat to the purity of the church. That sin that will breathe the Holy Spirit and put a, a damper on the advancement of the gospel that is moving forward. It reminds me as we come to this chapter and this section of what the Apostle Peter wrote over in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 17, where he says, For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And that's what we will see on display as we come to this section. Brother, we're going to be looking at the purity of the church and how God, in purifying the church here in Jerusalem, actually resulted in this church growing, being strengthened. But to get there, let's just kind of walk through this section together. And let's start with the sin that entered into the church. Let's start with the root... Of the sin of Ananias and Sapphira. These are the two people that we're going to be looking at. This is a husband and a wife. And they sin publicly here in the church. Now, to see how this unfolds and looking at what was the root of their sin, well, go back to chapter 4 for a moment and go back to verse 34 where we see that what is happening is that those who were the owners of land or owners of of houses, they would sell them and then bring the proceeds of the sales. That idea there of the proceeds of the sale is to say they were bringing the prices of the things being sold. So if they went and sold something for $100, they were bringing $100 and laying it at the feet of the apostles. And then the apostles were using that money that they were giving to then distribute it to those that were in need that were there in the church. And it gives us an example, a positive example of that in verses 36 and 37. The man that the apostles called Barnabas who owned, it says in verse 37, a tract of land. He sold it, he brought the money, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. But then we come to chapter 5, verse 1. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge. And bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. And what we're going to see here as you go through this section is that what was at the root of the sin for Ananias and Sapphira that God's going to deal with here is, is the sin of greed and the sin of deception. Because, as you notice now, what was taking place back in chapter 4? That the price of what people were selling things, they were bringing that full price and laying it at the feet of the apostles. So they know that this is what is happening. And so they come and they conspire together as a husband and wife to come and make a presentation and lay their offering there before the feet of the apostles, but to do it in such a way as though they're giving the appearance that they're giving the full price. That they're giving it for what they sold it for. But yet we see that they kept back some of the price for themselves. Now, it was not required of them to bring anything to the feet of the apostles. And you notice when Peter confronts Ananias there, in verse 4, he says, While it remained unsold, that is, before he sold the, the, the piece of property, Did it not remain your own? That is, you could do with it what you wanted. And after it was sold, was it not under your control for you to do with it what you wanted? Why is it you have conceived this deed in your heart? And the deed was, and it goes back to the price, they're trying to give the impression that they were just like everyone else and they went out and sold something and they're bringing and and trying to be deceptive in what they're doing out of a heart of greed and hypocrisy. In fact, if you go down to verse 8, when Sapphira comes walking in after her husband Ananias has died, Notice the question that Peter asked her. Tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, yes, that was the price. And that's when he says, why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to, to the test? They were lying. They were lying to, to the Holy Spirit. As Peter says back in verse 3, they were, in their heart, they were lying to the Holy Spirit to keep back some of the price of the land. They were lying about what it is they sold it for. Whether they wanted it to appear more spiritual or, or whatever the ultimate reason or it was for greed that was there in their heart. We know in Ephesians 5.3, the Apostle Paul tells us that greed is not to be named among the saints. We're also told by the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 9 that we're not supposed to lie to one another. Because we're supposed to lay aside the old self with its evil practices and we're supposed to put on the new self who's being renewed by the true knowledge of Christ. And both of these things are happening here. Greed and deception that is not supposed to be named among the people of God. So this is the root of the sin of Ananias and Sapphira. But now, I want us to and then quickly also look at the responsibility for the sin of Ananias and Sapphira. And the reason why I do that is because when you go back to verse 3 for a moment, where Peter said, said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? Now, if you just stop reading right there, you may make the assumption is, is that Peter is putting the blame on Satan, but He's not. He understands there was a difference between the way Ananias came and gave and the way Barnabas came to give. Barnabas came filled by the Spirit of God. Ananias came filled by Satan. That is, under the influence of Satan, he allowed Satan to have influence in his life and to work in his heart. This the sin of greed, the sin of hypocrisy, the sin of deception, the sin of pretension that was there. Peter understands that. He understands Satan would love to have God's people sin in such a way that it brings dishonor to the name of Christ. But Peter does not put the responsibility on Satan here. He puts it on Ananias and Sapphira. That's why he says, we read a moment ago in the verse, verse 4, look, when it remained unsold, it was yours to do with what you wanted. When you sold it, it was still under your control. You ultimately made the decision, you and your wife, you made this decision that you were going to be deceptive in how you were going to come and give to the church. And thus they were lying not just to Peter and not just to the church, but they were lying to God. They were lying to the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. Beloved, may this be a reminder to us that when you think about what Peter is driving home to them should be driving home to us, is that what we do in the church should be done out of a love for Christ, out of a love for his people. Whether it's our attending of the church, our serving in the church, our financially supporting the church, whatever form and fashion in which we are a part of the body of Christ, what God, God doesn't just look at actually what we do or don't do, He's also looking at our heart, and He knows why we do it. Am I doing this for recognition? Am I doing this for prestige? Am I doing this to have power? Do I give so that I can have influence in the church? Do I give in a way to have influence and power in the church? Do I give just out of a love for the church and for the people of God and for the lost who are needing Christ? Do I serve for those reasons? What, why is it I do what I do? Peter Peter's getting at the heart of that. They gave it for the wrong reason. And thus they were responsible for their sin. And brother, we have to take responsibility for our sin as well. But now notice thirdly, what I call the response to the sin of Ananias and Sapphira. The response. Let's start with the response of Peter. And what you can say when you look at Peter's response is, this is a fellow believer to another believer, he's responding to their sin with confrontation and with a rebuke. Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? To lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land. He confronts Ananias about what it is he has done. He's rebuking him for it. He does the same thing to Sapphira down in verse... Eight, when she comes in when he says tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price and he says why is it that you have agreed together to put the spirit of the Lord to the test Peter here is lovingly and graciously yet boldly and courageously confronting the sin of Ananias and Sapphira and he's doing it there in a reproof in a rebuke of them you stop and you think about it as we're told over in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2, where Paul is, is writing to young Timothy, and then he's telling him, even as a preacher, and he's saying, Preach the word, and as you preach the word, you're to have rebuke in there. We are to, to confront one another at times when there is sin in our life. And this is what Peter is doing here in his response to the sin of Ananias and Sapphire. And I know that, this public rebuke is something that Peter would come to know himself personally where he would be on the other end of it. We've read that on several occasions here over in the book of Galatians, remember? Whenever Peter was doing something publicly, when he was not, he was, he was being a hypocrite and he's been hypocrite about the gospel where he was there eating with Gentiles and then some Judaizers showed up and when they showed up, he stopped eating with them and when Paul came to town and he saw what Peter and Barnabas were doing, the two people that are involved here that are so wonderful in what they're doing, Barnabas and Peter, those two men got caught up in the sin of hypocrisy that was distorting the gospel and you remember what Paul did? Paul confronted him to his face in front of everyone not out of a a hateful judgment, but out of a love for Peter. But most of all, out of a love for the gospel and for the Lord Jesus Christ. This was the response of Peter. But notice, secondly, the response of God. How did God respond to this sin? Remember, the church is young. It's a newborn in some sense, it's a—it's an infant. It's, it's just getting off the ground. It's just getting going. And things are moving in a wonderful way internally in the sense that they're just, the, the people are devoted to the apostles' teaching. They're devoted to fellowship. They're devoted to prayer. They're, they're devoted to the praising of the Lord. They're devoted to being together. They have one heart and soul. They're ministering to one another. They're caring for one another. There are some wonderful, amazing things that are going on. They're proclaiming the gospel through the apostles. People are being saved. And then when this happens, beloved, God's response was to bring down a disciplinary judgment that would bring the life of Ananias and Sapphira to an end. They died there on the spot. Because we're told in verse 5, and as he heard these words, when Peter says, you have lied not just to man, but to God. And when he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last. And when his wife Sapphira came in, At the end of that when Peter says, winds it in verse 9, You have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test. Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out as well. And immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Well, God was very serious about the sin that was there in the church at Jerusalem. And this was the sin of a judgment of death. Now, this is not the only occasion where we see in Scripture where this happens or is referred to. We were just studying it here in our discipleship training class uh, just a few minutes ago over in 1 John chapter 5, where we see that, that John writes about there is a sin that is unto death. There is a sin that is unto physical death for believers. Not only that, you can look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 where Paul there is talking about the Lord's Supper and the Lord's Table and he was saying there were people that were coming to that table in an unworthy fashion, believers that were coming to the table in an unworthy fashion and they weren't examining themselves as they should have been and when they came and took of the the Lord's table in an unworthy fashion, he says, that's why some of you are sick, some of you are weak, and some of you are actually asleep, which is some of you have died. Some of them have actually died because of the sin that they were doing. you read back through and you see the the turmoil and the mess that was going on with that church at Corinth, even around the Lord's table, and there were some wicked things going on. People getting drunk. Selfishness, just greediness, all going on in that church at that time. And Paul says, Beloved, you're coming to this table in an unworthy fashion and God's bringing judgment down upon you for that. Even as a believer. Now, they didn't lose their salvation. But this was God's response to the sin of Ananias and Sapphira. Beloved, that leads me to the, the main point of what I want to focus on tonight. And that is, what were the results? What were the results of this response? Besides, I'm not talking about the results for Ananias and Sapphira. Those results are quite clear. They died. But what were the results for the church? For the people who were still there? Well, it was a fourfold result. One, the first result was fear. Fear. Look again with me, if you will. Look down at verse 5. Where it says and as he heard these words Ananias fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came over all who heard of it. Look over in verse 11. And great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard of these things. That is all those who were outside of the church. So much so we look down and we see that None of the rest, in verse 13, dared to associate with them. Fear. When God dealt with sin in the church there in Jerusalem, one of the results was it brought fear on those who were outside of the church because news would travel very quickly. And that's what it says. Fear came over all who heard of it. And in verse 11, all over all who heard of these things making a distinction between those that were actually in the church fear came over all those who were on the outside of the church and fear it says came over the whole church what about you stop and you think about it in relationship to today the marketing strategies that are put forward by so many of these church growth gurus this would not be in their book It would not be something that would be a user-friendly church in that way. But one of the results was it brought fear. A healthy fear. A reverence. Not just on those on the outside, but even those on, on the inside. When they're doing things that are damaging the testimony, the purity of the church... Can you imagine? Can you imagine being a part, a member of the church at Jerusalem, and word gets back to you at home? God killed Ananias and Sapphira. What for? They lied. What did they lie about? They lied about what they gave. They played the role of a hypocrite. Can you imagine hearing that and not getting down on your face before God and saying, Lord, examine my heart. Examine my heart. What, what sin is there? Getting with your, with your husband or your wife or with your family and sitting down and talking and just saying, oh, show me. Is there sin that's in my heart? Sin that's in my life? There is a fear that would come over. Not a fear of losing their salvation, but just a holy reverence and respect for God. If you recall beloved just for a moment look over in 1 Timothy chapter 5 I want you to look over in 1 Timothy chapter 5 I want you to see how this all fits together 1 Timothy chapter 5 he's talking about the elders as the pastors the the leaders of the church And he says in verse 19, do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. But those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all. Why? So that the rest also will be fearful. They'll be fearful. That's part of that. That's what God is doing this. He's wanting there to be a fear, a reverential fear that is there in the church. Among God's people, that they take sin serious. They take holiness serious. So, one of the results that we see, and is a good result, is that it brought about a fear among the people. But, secondly, when you go back to Acts chapter 5, it didn't just bring about a fear among the people, it also brought about more faithfulness among the people. Look again down in verse 12. They go right back to doing what it is they had been doing. At the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. You see, this brought about more faithfulness among the people. It didn't scare them off. They didn't run away from the church. For those that were the true believers that were there as a part of the whole church, yet it, yes, it brought a fear and they had to examine their heart, but it also brought about a faithfulness to them where they were still of one heart and of one mind that were there, still serving, sharing, united together, united in their heart, united in their purpose, united in their love, just being faithful. There was faithfulness among the believers, not a falling out, not a falling away. And this is the effect and the result of what God did to help continue their faithfulness to him, their faithfulness to one another. So beloved, when God responds with a disciplinary judgment upon Ananias and Sapphira, it led to fear and it led to a faithfulness. But thirdly, It also led to favor among the people. This is an interesting statement to me in verse 13. Look at verse 13. On one hand, it says, But none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. He's talking about the unbelievers. None of the rest dared to associate with them. And you can understand that. Fear has gripped their heart in that sense. But yet, they're holding the people there. The people held them in high esteem. Though they wouldn't associate with them, they did respect them. They did hold them in high regard. I'm sure everyone here tonight could probably stand up and share a testimony. that you have had someone say or you just heard someone say before that I will will not go to be a part of the church because the church is just filled with a bunch of hypocrites. Because the church really sounds and looks and lives just like everybody else. And I don't see any point in it. I don't see the reason for it. And they have little respect at times for the church. And they don't hold the church and the people of God in high regard. Now, I understand that that's really no excuse on their part. But we have given them that excuse. Too many churches have given them that excuse because we haven't dealt with sin. And we are making ourselves look like hypocrites when we do that if we act like them and we live like them, then they won't hold us actually in high regard and high esteem. Maybe you stop and you think about over in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul's addressing a sin of immorality that was there in the church. He says that's not even named among the Gentiles. I mean, the unbelievers aren't even living like this. And y'all are living like this and you're not dealing with it. You're not Addressing it. Oh, beloved, not here in Jerusalem. No one after this event would have been walking around saying, I'm not attending that church because it's filled with hypocrites. They may have said, I'm not attending that church because there is a fear of God there. They had a a respect and they actually had favor with the people, they weren't afraid of the people. They held them in high esteem, and this is one of the results that we see of how when God dealt with the sin here of Ananias and Sapphira. Yes, it led to fear among those people, but it also led to favor among those same people. But also, let me show you one other effect, one other result that may shock you, especially when you read verse thirteen and then you read verse fourteen. And verse 13, as we just read a moment ago, it says, none of the rest dared to associate with them. That is, they wouldn't, they wouldn't join them, they wouldn't join with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. But then read verse 14 yet, all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. You see, it didn't just lead to fear and favor among those people. It actually ended up leading to some of them having faith. Faith in Christ. This is what he's saying. All the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly being added to their number. You see, beloved, when God struck down Ananias and fire, it didn't stop people from putting their faith in Christ. It actually had to, to lead to more people putting their faith in Christ. More and more people were being saved. So much so that even here Luke doesn't even give us the number as he's done in the past in the book of Acts. He just says there's a multitude of just men and women. They're just constantly being added to their number. It didn't stop the church from growing. It didn't stop the church from growing numerically. It didn't stop the church from being effective in their evangelism. If anything, it helped it. Why? Because it gave them that credibility. It gave them that platform that when they went out to share the gospel and those apostles were sharing the gospel, that they were doing it from a platform of holiness and commitment and love to Christ and to the Word of God. And they knew that about the people there. Thus God used the purifying of the church to cause the church to grow again, both numerically and spiritually. Beloved, if you were to look over in Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to look at some of these passages again here in the near future. But over in Revelation chapter 2, when Jesus was commending and praising the church at Ephesus, the thing he, he condemned them for and he got onto them about and confronted them about was because they had lost their first love. But what he commended them for and he praised them for was the fact that they would not tolerate evil men and they would not tolerate false apostles That is, they wouldn't tolerate anyone that was destroying the purity of the church among the people, and they would not tolerate anyone that was destroying or damaging the purity of the gospel. If either one of those things were happening, they had no tolerance for that. And Jesus says, I commend you for that. I know your deeds. I know these things about you. And he's saying it in a positive way for them. And what we'll see also, and we go back and look there in Revelation 2 and 3, you're going to see that Jesus, one of the things he condemns churches about is that they are they're distorting the gospel and they're allowing things that are not true that are distorting the gospel to come in the church to stand and he speaks against them for that and he's also getting on to them because they're allowing immorality just to remain in the church. And he's telling them they need to Repent. And do what's right. Well, the God's church growth strategy must include for any church a commitment to purity. Purity of the gospel and a purity of the people of God, a purity of the body of Christ. Not perfection. He's not, Jesus isn't here and the Lord God Don't misunderstand the thing, okay, he dealt with Ananias and Sapphira. That means everyone else that was there in the church at Jerusalem, none of them had any more sin. And none of them committed any more sins. Yes, they committed sins. In fact, we're going to look over in chapter 6 of Acts, and what do you see? Right after they deal with this, there starts to be grumbling and complaining in the church. It's not that they were sinless. They were still sinners saved by grace. But the Lord knew that this was a public sin that if he didn't deal with, it was going to have an effect on the gospel there for the people of God. And so he addressed it. And because he did address it, it helped to bring a a holy fear among the people even among the people of God. So let me just ask you this this evening. Do you have this commitment? Do you have this conviction in your heart? That says, Lord, we want to follow your word. We want to follow what your word says, what it's teaching. We want to look and see what it has to say about purity in the church. Purity in our heart, purity in our own life. And we're going to find out for us and how it is that we can do things like this is is because we have a love for one another. We have a love for Christ. We have a love for the Word of God. That's why, beloved, if you go back, if you think back to the, the first things I shared with you when I came here, as I did a series on love and that love started with a love for Christ and a love for His Word and a love for one another. You see, because that's what this is all based off of. This is all based off of love. I have such a love for Jesus. I have such a love for the Word of God. I have a, such a love for God's people. God didn't do this to Ananias and Sapphira out of hatred. He even did that out of love for them and out of a love for his people. Out of a love for his word, out of a love for his son. So this is the example that we see here before us. Just as we have seen in these other occasions where the Lord used persecution to grow the church. We see now he used purity to grow the church. We can't control the persecution that may come our way. And we can't control when God wants to purify his church, as we see here in Ananias and Sapphira, or we read about over in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. No one here, none of us can control that. We can't control when God chooses to intervene and bring about judgment in that way. But we can have a commitment, as we talked about, to being faithful when it comes to persecution. And we can have a commitment when we talk about when it comes to the purity in the church. And just being faithful to our Lord. Well, I want to stop there for tonight.